Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us this afternoon here in Las Vegas at NAB, here in the Advanced Advertising Pavilion. My name is Steve Safran. I'll be your moderator for a panel that we have put together that is really something special. How local radio and TV stations are innovating with programmatic advertising. Let's get right to it. What we're talking here about is, you know, it used to be the broadcasters could always depend upon a day, day content delivery. Deep local reach to create a very good business model. But now, once passive viewers and listeners have gone entirely out of the clock, out of the living room, and into a multi-platform evolving digital landscape, invite the strongest heeled competitors into TV and radio stations' own backyard. So today we're going to learn about how some stations are already taking advantage of the ongoing transition from traditional to automated. Um, not only to unlock, unlock the uh, hidden value in underused inventory or day parts, but also to add some new content to newscasts and other station-based information and entertainment programs without any added expense or manpower. This is about the trick, everyone. Uh, so let's get right to it. I'd like to introduce the panel. Um, over to my left, your right, uh, we have Jane King from Lila Max. Uh, she is one of the founders there. Uh, we have uh, Brendan Condon, who joins us from Admore. going to be talking to us about what that entails, and they uh, are bringing us today's panel, so we thank them very much for that. Uh, joining us also is Napolitano. He's the EVP of Programmatic at Hubbard Broadcasting. And Stacy Glenn Schulman joins us. She's the EVP of Strategy and Analytics from Pat's Media Group. So um, let's get right to it. And um, Brendan, we'd like to start with you. Uh, you folks are generous enough to sponsor this. And uh, tell us about the state of programmatic and what AdMore is up to. Sure. At AdMore, we bring those two marketplaces together. We work with, I want to say, more than 25 national brand agencies their holding companies, their trading desks, their TV buying groups, who are looking to reach incremental audiences, viewers that are very valuable to them, that they can't readily get because we've seen so much fragmentation in the television marketplace today. On the other side, the media folks, or the supply side of our platform, are looking for incremental revenue streams. They're looking for ways to better monetize the inventory and especially the valuable audiences that they have. And with the AdMore platform, we've automated that workflow so we can streamline that so that our national brand marketers can reach the valuable audiences in scale and our media partners can see incremental and profitable revenue streams come their way. One of the uh, new partners for AdMore is Jane King, who comes to us from Lyle Max. Jane is a veteran broadcaster, journalist, and does daily pieces from, well, all over the place, but certainly from, uh, from Wall Street. And Jane, tell us a little bit about uh, what it's like to try and monetize this content and uh, what you're seeing out there and particularly how uh, AdMore is uh, helping out. Well, we, um, just to give you a little context, so the company that um, my partner, Bob Morris, and uh, I founded, Bob and I worked together at CNN, Bloomberg, and then uh, we provided financial reports for local TV stations around the country for years. And Bloomberg decided to exit that space at the end of 2013. Bob and I felt like there was a viable business model there. And so we basically took it over and launched the company instead of 12 people with two. And uh, it's been 
interesting and uh, frustrating and enlightening and exciting all at the same time. But we're basically a content provider. And uh, what we do is provide daily reports, uh, business reports from the NASDAQ market site and Times Square in New York uh, for local TV stations around the country, as well as some internet sites as well. The street.com is one of them. Seeking Alpha is another one. I also do a daily wellness report. I was noticing the trend of wellness growing in the business segments. And so I started to do a wellness report every day and stations really like that as well. And we uh, partnered with AdMore very quickly um, uh, after the business launched in 2014. I think it was about six months after we launched. And uh, that was a very crucial relationship that we had because um, it basically helped us survive. Um, We make money from TV stations either through cash, a station will pay us monthly for our content, or through barter. So they will give up 30 seconds of ad time. We provide a commercial to them, which is given to us by AdMore, and then um, we uh, have a rev share, uh, basically, um, on that commercial. So a lot of stations, we found most, do prefer barter relationships rather than cash for budgetary reasons. And um, it's been a very, very crucial relationship to our business and helped us thrive and grow. Similarly here, it's, you know, what was so amazing for us early on with the LightMax partnership was the audiences and the viewers that your content was able to capture. And that's what national brand marketers are looking for. And they'll pay a premium for that. So it's key for us to find the venues where those audiences are viewing the great content that's out there. We also have a couple of uh, leaders in the industry from the broadcasting side joining us to talk about um, programmatic from broadcasting side from uh, Hubbard Broadcasting. This is a title that didn't exist even a couple of years ago, so I thought it was fascinating that uh, he could join us today as Val Napolitano, and he is the EVP of programmatic at Hubbard Broadcasting. Val, what are you seeing out there? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Hubbard first. We're a, we're a broadcasting company, local broadcasting company. We have a, over 12 television stations in six television markets around the country. We have 48 radio stations. We have one cable channel called the Reels Channel, and we have a production company. Uh, what what I'm uh, uh, in charge been charged to do is to try to figure out what programmatic slash automation how it fits into the local arena uh, with Brandon and Atmore. Uh, his product is a network type product where brand advertisers go to Brandon to put together a network of television stations. Where I fit in is trying to figure out how this concept of automation will fit in on the local scale, on a local to local marketplace. And it's been a very hot topic in the industry going back two years. But unfortunately, that two-year window seems to keep moving, and we really haven't seen that much progress on the local side yet. Uh, I think we're coming closer to a transition into programmatic, and really, programmatic has many, many definitions, as Jane and Brendan alluded to. What I'm, when we talk about local television, it's really automation. Uh, the, a good de- definition of programmatic is automation coupled with big data and having the ability to automate the process utilizing very sophisticated qualitative data on behavior and and, uh, viewing patterns. So that essentially uh, is where we are in the industry right now, which is really not too far. However, with several vendors in the marketplace making some hay, I think 
uh, at the latter part of this year, we'll see more broadcasters ent entering into this arena. Entering, excuse me, into this arena. Val, I know one of the challenges that we talked about uh, when we were preparing for this conference was this issue of standards, and that's something that I want to get to in a moment. But first, I want to introduce to everybody um, the EVP for Strategy and Anal Analytics at Cast Media Group, and that's Stacy Ling Shulman. Stacy, what are you seeing out there? Well, it's the wild, wild west out there. <laughs> um, for those of you who aren't familiar with CATS Media Group, we, um, we represent uh, 800 or more radio stations across the country, more than 3,000 television stations across the country, and we sell their national uh, advertising time for them. So for us to be dabbling in and experimenting in the programmatic space makes a lot of sense. It's about data, but it's also about transparency. So all of those things have to be in place. It's better for them if they can work with more players, more players across markets and deeper within markets. We have a, a product on the radio side called Expressway that uh, we are in the process of launching. Um, but frankly, we've been doing business on that platform for a while, um, and it's moving along quite nicely. Well, thanks very much. I should let you folks know my only instruction to all of you is please do not hold your questions until the end. If you have any questions at any time, please raise your hand. We might have a mic going around. I'm not sure. Uh, obviously, we're having some feedback issues, and so I do apologize for that. Thanks for bearing with us. That's part of the nature of trying to do something like this in a big room. I know they're working hard over here on that. Um, but let's talk for a moment about standards, because it is something that we are facing. It is a, a big question mark for everybody. There are a lot of companies with solutions, but sometimes at the local level especially, you can get bombarded with these different products and you say, well, wait a minute, I want to be comparing apples to apples. So, um, Brendan, I'd like, I'd like to throw that question to you. Um, how do you answer that question when uh, you get at that local level and they say, what are your numbers showing that perhaps somebody else is on? Well, I think you can't have standards without having transparency, like Stacy said. If you wanted to attract national brand advertising dollars your way, you have to be willing to say, these are my viewers, and this is how I'm counting and qualifying those viewers. In most cases, people defer to third parties like Nielsen or Comscore Rentrack. But as we get increasingly sophisticated and bypass not only the age, sex demos that people are buying media and begin to target, like Val was alluding to, behaviors or patterns of viewing or patterns of content ingestion, as well as you know activities that people have taken, whether they're in market for a new car or they're in market for a new home or refinancing a mortgage, whatever it might be. When you find something is in market, you want to be sure and comparative across different stations or networks. Is it in market three weeks, six weeks, six months? What does that really mean for you? And what does it mean for everybody else? So that as a brand marketer, who again is willing to pay premiums to capture those audiences, they just want to know who they are. So for all of you that are stations out there, you have to be very willing to say, here's who my viewers are and here's who they're not. And when we know that, then you can capture the premium dollars with it. On the local level, it's a work in progress, establishing standards and procedures. And there are really three elements. The, there's a consortium of, let me back up a second, there's a consortium of advertisers, advertising agencies, rep firms, local television stations. And getting them all, all in a room and trying to get them to agree on a set of standards is, is quite challenging. There are three basic issues to uh, having standards. One is 
an often word that you'll hear throughout this presentation, transparency. How, how does a, an advertising agency define the currency that they're currently using? Is it a rating point? Is it a impression? What is the definition of a guaranteed delivery? What is the definition of how um, undervalued inventory that is being presented to an advertiser is being taken care of over the course of a schedule? That's point number one. Uh, the second piece is the sales channel and some refer to it as the sales channel conflict. How do we take the traditional method of selling and buying television and radio time that has been in place for probably 35 years and translate that into an automated system? Uh, the, I think the role of people that do that today will not be doing that in three to five years from now. There'll still be a need for those people, but they'll redefine how their inventory is being sold. And then the last element, uh, which we already talked about a little bit, is big data. Who is going to own the big data? How is it going to be shared? Is it going to be shared equally? Who's going to pay for it? So those are kind of the three principles behind uh, standards and procedures. Stacy, um, do you see a disconnect out there between the folks on the buy side and the sell side? Well, disconnect is kind of a vague subjective term. <laughs> I'm sorry, please, please feel free to ob object. There's definitely a gap. <laughs> There's a gap, yeah, sure. Look, um, a lot of this is a conflict because we're used to dealing in a world that was much more black and white. We're used to dealing with one currency from one company. Some of them are in the audience. Um, and and it was pretty easy because we we knew what they were about and we knew how all that all what was in the mix um, and everybody was on the same terms now we're in a world where it's not the only data that we work with there's lots of other data that people consider using there's much more transactional data there's behavioral data there's environmental data um, you know it's like a Chuck Close painting you know you have to kind of stand back from it to understand a sense of what it is that you're looking at um, and that's the world that we're living in and that creates a lot of confusion and in a world where we're operating as local broadcasters where what we really care about is helping that advertiser connect with the local consumer where the goods are actually bought and sold right that value is harder and harder for us to get over to that advertising agency because they want accountability first and foremost they want things that show that transactions actually took place, that people clicked, um, that people engaged. And we're in a medium that has mostly operated through the air. Um, and we can still show that when the ad was on our air, whether that be radio air or television air, that we were moving product. That still is happening. Um, but we have a challenge in proving that value in a world where everything else is digitized. So is there a disconnect? Yes, there is. Um, but I truly believe that as we move forward, that if we, as we go into what is the ATSC 3.0 future, as we find ways to build bridges between the analog and the digital, um, that we will be successful in making those connections. It, but it does take partnership and it does take patience and it does take time. Jane, I, I want to get back to the content side for a moment. Um, you're fairly new to this uh, partnership and this product. 
how has this changed how Lila Max does business? When I first started in the broadcasting industry, my my first job was in radio, right out of college. And uh, my boss said, your job is to keep the listeners tuned in between commercial breaks. And I was like, wow, that is really what this industry is all about. And then, you know, as I went on, I got into TV. I was hearing, you got to sell cars and soap and, you know, and things like that. So I believe, and I still do, and I, for the foreseeable future, that um, broadcasting is the best way still to build a brand. Um, I know that the internet is um, getting a lot of advertising dollars, but I think it's kind of a squishy industry right now. There's questions about clicks and views and where a placement is of brands on YouTube. And just within the, within the past month, Johnson & Johnson, Verizon, AT&T have pulled their ads from YouTube uh, because they were showing up next to hate speech and terrorism videos and things like that. Um, and that's not the way somebody wants to build an image of their company and their product. Um, so as a content provider, I mean, that's something I'm very concerned about is making sure that a brand can build around the content that we provide and um, that it makes sense, that it makes sense for them. You know, I do financial reports. So there are a lot of credit unions and banks um, that sponsor my reports, but not just that, but there are other companies as well, but they like being associated with the financial content that, you know, they think that that's where their audience is. So um, this is, you know, you said wild, wild west. I mean, it's exactly what it feels like. I think we're all still trying to figure it out a little bit. Um, I've met with some investors in New York and they're just not interested in broadcasting. They want to know what things we're doing online and digital. And, you know, and I try to tell them, you know, that I still think TV is the best place to build a brand. Just one more quick story. So I was at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade just this last fall. And the guys from the uh, Cranberry uh, Ocean Spray went by. And everybody was, I mean, even more than Santa Claus, they were like, hey, Ocean Spray guys. And I was like, these are creatures of television. Um, this was not on Facebook. You know, nobody knows them from YouTube. I mean, this was, these were TV celebrities. And I still think that's where brands are built for the foreseeable future. You know, that's also evidenced by how much new content is being produced, whether it's scripted or non-scripted content, across every single network. And even some of the subscription video on demand outlets like the Netflix. They're just producing content because that medium, television as a medium, produces more and more engagement than any other media. And that engagement is valuable and therefore it can be monetized. And that's why I go back to the brand agencies are looking for those viewers. And it's up to you as media providers to say, hey, I've got those viewers. They're right here. Come and get them. And they will pay a premium for those viewers. One of the distinctions between uh, having a network an aggregated set of stations aggregating a network in the local side it's as if you had uh, 210 different network buys that you would make but they're all made on an individual market by market basis so you can almost realize how time consuming and how much manpower goes into buying each market in the United States and there are 210 of them through automation the, pro the concept is to make that process a little bit easier and to, to uh, incentivize, if you will, national brand advertisers, the ones that Brandon is talking about, and bring them back into the local market arena. Uh, and that'll, that has the potential to monetize the whole process and bring new revenue streams back to the local stations. So that's one of the positive concepts that we're hoping programmatic will bring to the marketplace. It just is a as a researcher and, and someone who studies um, human behavior, right? 
I've been saying for probably most of my career that most of what happens in our business is a pendulum that swings back and forth. And for many, many years, as the digital world was evolving, the pendulum was moving more and more towards personalization, towards automation, towards one-to-one. And we heard a lot of rhetoric about how reach was a dirty word. I would submit to you that today, what we're seeing more and more is that people feel more isolated, that they feel disconnected, that there's a trend toward localism because it's real and tangible, and that what people want more and more today are opportunities for shared experiences. And if we're talking about the future of broadcast and the role that automation and programmatic has to play, it is a way for us to bring the capabilities of the digital realm to the broadcasting sphere, which is going to provide something even more for humanity, and I know that sounds pretty heavy-handed, but it is the only place where you can have a shared experience all at the same time, whether that be listening to your favorite disc jockey on the radio, watching your favorite television event. It is a shared moment all at the same time. It's the reason why Saturday Night Live is live in every time zone now, because they want people to have that shared experience. That's what broadcast offers If we can put that together with automation and programmatic, then I think it's win-win for the industry. That's a terrific point. We have about five minutes left, so I do want to uh, send uh, the opportunity out there to folks. uh, If you have questions, you might be going around. Uh, Yes, sir, why don't you introduce yourself and then uh, ask a question. Sure. Kirk Whistler, Latino 24-7. What do you see as the future of Spanish language broadcasting? Yeah, so Spanish language, just like any, you know, whether it's Anglo or any other ethnic language, they're niche audiences that are continuing to grow because America, frankly, is diversifying. And as it becomes sizable, it becomes, frankly, more interesting to national brand marketers. So for the Hispanic market in particular, lots of our clients say we have the Anglo or English language speaking creative. We also have a Hispanic version. Can we use that? And the first thing we say to them is, as long as it's not a voiceover of the English version, because it'll never work. In fact, it'll insult those respective audiences. So most of the smarter agencies will say, yeah, no, we cut a separate creative, separate talent. It's right here. Can you use it? And we say yes. Question? Anybody? Other questions, folks. Don't be shy. You look like you have a question. (laughs) Is that just your natural look? Okay. (laughs) So so I have one. Um, I'd like to ask Val and Stacy. You know, if you had a wish um, for the, the folks that are working, still working on these standards and um, issues that are facing you uh, for the next 12 months, what would it be? Well, the first thing that I would hope to, to see is uh, some of these vendors that are working on the supply side, which is the sales side, uh, is to create scale. Right now, there are, many, there are several good, com- very good companies out there that are developing systems and processes for programmatic to work. But in order for it to work effectively, these companies need to have scale with, what I mean by that is stations within a market, com- subscribing to the concept of programmatic, and scale across markets. So when an advertising uh, agency wants to buy for an advertiser, he can put up or she can put up on a, des- on a dashboard all the information that they need to see from one vendor versus another. And I think in the future, there are going to be probably just probably one or two vendors that are going to be able to provide the supply of inventory for buyers to easily transact business. 
I think uh, I would wholeheartedly agree with you, Val. It's this is about scale. It's about be not afraid, and it's about realizing that we're we're at a critical moment in our evolution in local broadcasting. We're our the ability to buy our medium on a national basis is getting more and more complicated. And there's other national media and other opportunities that advertisers and agencies can go to very easily. And so the more quickly that we can get together and find a way to automate and take the friction out of the process of buying and selling um, in our markets, I think the better off that we're going to be. And the more that we can do that together, I think we have the opportunity to leapfrog what national media can do and other digital media can do if we can get ourselves together to do it. Brendan, I'm going to let you get the last word in here. So takeaways here. What is one thing you would want broadcasters here to know and one thing you would want advertisers and marketers here to know? Well, thank you. I think that's a great question. The first thing for the broadcast side is, remember, you guys get to call the shots. You participate in the programmatic landscape as much as you want to. You provide as much transparency as you'd like to. But the key is the more that you do that, the more that you have revenue, incremental revenue and profitable revenue streams coming your way. So I would you know, challenge all of you to, to revisit why, if you're not participating, are you? Is it a concern about disintermediation? No, because if you think about programmatic, it streamlines the traditional day-to-day workflow. It frees you up to think more strategically about your media outlet, about what you can offer to advertisers, whether it's sponsored content, whether it's product placement, or it's something more unique and strategic versus the transactional aspects that programmatic you know, somewhat eliminates or streamlines and makes it so much easier so it's more of a push to a button. On the advertiser side, I go out every day. I, I'm based in New York City, and I'm constantly talking to ad agencies in their trading desk and talking about you guys. I'm talking about the media outlets that are out there that they don't know about. And they said, we, you know, we'd love to have them have a seat at the table because we want your viewing audiences, but the table's not big enough. There's not enough chairs. I don't have enough time in the day. So I have to rely on automated workflows and processes and companies like AdMore to do that for me. And that's what we provide as a service. So for them, their ears and eyes are wide open listening and saying, hey, how do I get to them? And for my job is say, they're there. I just have to you know, aggregate or call them all together so that when they're sizable, they become more in- or increasingly interesting to them. Thank you, Brendan. I've been coming to NAB and reporting on it for 15 years. I can tell you that this by far is the most digital product that I've seen out here, the most opportunities, the most software, the most equipment that I've seen. This all used to be about if you had the big stick and you were putting out the signal. And now there are so many different ways to get message out there, to get advertising out there, to get programming out there. It's really encouraging and remarkable to see. I, I know that the most important role as a moderator uh, at the panel at NAB at 4 o'clock is to make sure everybody makes cocktail hour. And so with that, uh, we're going to wrap things up. I would like to thank uh, Jane King from Milo Max, Val Napolitano from Hubbard Broadcasting, Stacey Lynn Schulman from the Cats Media Group, and of course, uh, Brendan Condon from our sponsors here uh, on our terrific program from AdWar. Uh, I'm Steve Saffron. Thank you all very much. Have a great afternoon. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Everybody, make sure to come on back tomorrow and the rest of the week where we'll be doing panels here all week. Tomorrow is with Emerging Platforms, so we're going to have some panels on artificial intelligence, haptic technology, 
and all sorts of different ways that uh, our world is changing. And again, we'll be broadcasting live. If you want to look at any of our uh, panels today, you can go to voiceamerica.com, voiceamerica.com slash live events, where all of the panels are archived in audio, and Voice America's Facebook page, where all the panels are archived from Facebook Live video. Thank you so much. I'm Lori Schwartz. Join us again tomorrow. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com.